I'm uh, Jim Baker, a consultant for Education International, with uh, Fred Van Leeuwen, who is the longtime general secretary of, of Education International and is the current general secretary emeritus of, of the organization. We're talking about the book that's just come out uh, called Education and Democracy, 25 Lessons from the Teacher Profession. And Maybe it would be good, Fred, to explain a little bit why this particular book with this particular orientation came out now. Plenty of people talk about democracy and, and uh, react with concern about the uh, election results and other disturbing uh, developments. What's special about this book? Well, well, first of all, let's look around us, assess what's happening almost everywhere both in emerging democracies as in other countries. Democracy seems to have disappeared from the, from the agenda for some strange reason. So this book is written because we are very concerned about, about these developments, because we think that democracy can only be protected if a new generation is being made aware of the importance of democracy and is being given the instruments to defend and promote it. So that's one. Two, last year Education International celebrated its 25th anniversary. EI was established in 1993 with a very clear purpose, namely to defend democracy and human rights. At the time, we were very optimistic. <laughs> we could have never foreseen the current situation. At least, let me speak for myself. I was very optimistic. I thought things will only get better and there will be more democracies. Every, every day there will be another democracy uh, will be born. So we thought after 25 years, perhaps it is worth looking back and, and see what, what we have learned. Uh, so that's why we decided to identify 25 lessons that we thought we 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 had learned over those past 25 years uh, so well i i think those are the main reasons why we embarked on this uh, and perhaps i should also mention the following experience i had in 2017 at a unesco conference after the conference it was just after the inauguration of donald trump and after this conference I talked to the director general of UNESCO at the time and I was sort of curious because I wanted to know what the views were of the people within the United Nations system of the election of of Donald Trump so I thought what how did did you and your colleagues respond to the to this election and his inauguration and then she told me and she said well we actually didn't respond. We didn't know how to respond. The situation in within the UN system, and I'm talking about weeks after the inauguration of Trump, is, and she used the word, rudderless. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, so what are your plans? What is, what is, what are we supposed to do? What is, you know, the course to take? And then she pointed at me. 
And she said, you know what? Organizations like Education International, they may maybe an answer in times like this. You may, as EI, as teaching profession, want to take up your responsibility. I thought it was an interesting remark. And that certainly also played a role in the decision to start working on these 25 lessons to show the world that we take responsibility as teaching profession, that we attach much importance to democracy and that we are convinced that education, quality education, is one of the few tools we have to teach future generations about our democratic system, but not only that, but also about the values underlying that system and the skills you need to keep such system alive and to further develop it. So in a way, I guess what makes this book special, and certainly it's different than anything I've seen written elsewhere, is the role of a democratic institution, a major trade union organization, which after all is one of the institutions of democracy, but outside of political parties in the formal process, the role of of an institution in building support for democracy and, and building it on the ground. And the second thing being the, the potential role of education to rebuild things for the future. I suspect that one of the reasons that this came a little late in the discussion is the fact that everybody's focused very short term now. Everybody's looking at something that comes across on the internet or comes across mm-hmm. and values and developing these skills are long-term. You describe the competencies and skills. What are some of the things that you think young people need to be equipped with if they're going to uh, have a rudder, if they're going to be able to steer their way through uh, the very confusing process where they're getting enormous volumes of information, a lot of it false? How, how is a proper education or what you would consider a sort of well-rounded education that's not uh, limited to certain subjects, how will that equip them better to, to deal with these uh, challenges? Well, I, I think, first of all, when we talk about transferring values from teacher to student, we, we're not talking about a particular subject. Sure, children, students need to know about how the democratic systems work. I think it's very important that the new generation is aware of of the fact that democracy is not just a matter of having every four years an election, uh, is not just an elected government and parliament, but it's also an independent trade union movement. It's also a free press. Um, It's also a public school system. All of these are democratic institutions that need to be cherished. So on the one hand, it is knowledge that you try to transfer about those institutions and about what a democratic system entails. And on the other hand, these these values underlying democracy. And like I said, that's not a subject. It is something that pops up in in every lesson and in the attitude of the educator. It is about setting setting examples. Uh, So it, it is much more than a simple lesson.
this is a challenge to education, but it's also a challenge to the teaching profession. And in a lot of countries, we've seen uh, difficulty recruiting teachers, talented people to come into teaching. Uh, and we've seen people leave sometimes after a year or two mm -hmm. years. So there's been a problem of retention. So with all these changes in the education systems, has this damaged the possibility of, of teaching in a way that will encourage democracy? The fact that the status and the rate of uh, value of, of the teaching profession does not seem to have as much force as it had uh, some years ago? Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, I think one of the main problems that we are facing is that teachers have not as much autonomy, professional autonomy, as they had, let's say, 20, 25 years ago. Talented young people today feel less inclined to start a career in teaching than, than a couple of decades ago. We are facing what we call deprofessionalization. There is a group of policymakers that is of the opinion that you, you do not need highly educated people as teachers. You even see in some places that education becomes a scripted enterprise. There are particularly private education, commercialized education, examples of schools where teachers are reading from tablets, are being instructed to every step they, they, they make, every word they, they speak. So you have this, this group of policymakers that, that believe that, you know, you don't need highly educated uh, people to become uh, uh, teachers. They have another argument. Uh, that is that we are going to need so many teachers in the years to come that, you know, we couldn't even afford having uh, a teaching profession, a highly educated teaching profession. So deprofessionalization is a very dangerous problem that we are facing. And it ranges from high-stake evaluation systems that are being put in place in several countries to a complete casualization of the profession. I'll never forget this study that was undertaken a couple of years ago showing that an experienced teacher is a teacher who has at least 10,000 hours of classroom time. I think that, that slowly we are moving into a direction where the majority of teachers has less than that kind of experience. Another sign of deprofessionalization is the big difference between remuneration of educators and remuneration of comparable professionals. So there's a whole development where teachers are losing their status. And I think, therefore, also it'll be more difficult to have them be the educators that, that impart these important values that need to be imparted if we want to protect our democratic systems. Let me ask you a question on the same thing. Once a teacher, always a teacher. Once a trade unionist, always a trade unionist. But uh, it's some years since you went to the classroom every day. So you have a perspective which is a long one on the teaching profession. What are the kinds of things that you could do in the Netherlands when you were a teacher? When you talk about autonomy and when you talk about the, what were the kinds of things that you could adapt 
to what your uh, students needed and in terms of curriculum, teaching methods, etc., that are more difficult now? Obviously, in the, those days, a long, long time ago, there was a curriculum and there was a program, so it was not that your freedom was unlimited. You had to ensure that your students had a certain level of knowledge uh, before they went on. But a big difference between then and now, for example, is the testing. Well, many teachers feel that it is their obligation to help their students to get through the next test, which I understand. I mean, I would do the same, but that is already an incredible change. Plus that I have the impression that there's a lot of pressure on educators. On the, on the one hand, you know, you see that there is less interest in teachers' education in, in many countries, not in all. But on the other hand, you see that the burden on teacher, teachers is increasing. They have to do this, they have to do that. And on top of that, and that's also a big difference between when I was a, a classroom teacher and today, is this incredible administrative duties that teachers have. So I, I think that one third of the time of a teacher today is spent on administration filling out forms, making reports for the authorities, for the employer, for the government, for whoever is has an interest, a stake in education. So all of these issues have taken a toll on the autonomy of the educator. And I think it is one of the obstacles to what you earlier named rounded education. Well, I assume that all these things, these systems you're talking about, they put stress on the teachers. A lot of them put stress on the students. And in that fairly closed circuit of a school, it means you've got students stressed and teachers stressed, and they probably stress each other a fair amount, <laughs> yeah, too. Yeah, probably, yeah. So it, uh, it, 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 uh, it's not the kind of sa same thing in which you can sort of control the environment you're in. You told me a story once about uh, a young boy, South African boy, who uh -huh. was being harassed and how you were able to do something in your class. I've thought about that story and I wonder if it would be possible for teachers in a lot of countries to even do something like that. Maybe you could just briefly outline that. Yeah, well, I, I think that in many situations teachers will not have the time to do that. I mean, what I did at that time, we're talking about 30 years ago, when one of one of my students rushed into the classroom crying and I asked him what had happened and he explained to me that the coach had told him, he was a South African, a white South African boy, that he came from an evil country where blacks and colored people were discriminated. And so I took the opportunity to teach the entire class about the apartheid system in South Africa at that time and that children obviously could never be blamed for the political system of the country in which they were born and it was quite revealing um, that many many years later I, I received an email from that boy that had been crying uh, and that was the reason for me to give a lesson on apartheid, that I received an email from him, grown up, <laughs> um, saying that that particular lesson had changed his life, that it had opened his eyes 
for the evil system of the country that he was a citizen of and that it actually had encouraged him to join the later the anti-apartheid movement so but you know i took the whole afternoon to talk about this and although i won't say that today this would be completely impossible in all schools it would be more difficult for educators to say well you know let's sit in a circle and talk about this well the satisfaction in a way even years later that you helped change somebody's life i suppose that's still a reason a lot of people go into teaching they think they can change help change the yeah, world they yeah, can help yeah. be able to make a better place and uh, it uh, it can be uh, frustrating if they're not allowed to do that part of the problem we're having uh, in with democracy now is uh, in a lot of countries is that people are finding it more difficult to discuss issues they sort of want to have people agree with them instead of arguing about things and they'll get in the internet and they'll get in their social networks and they'll be with a group of people who all agree with them and uh, instead of seeing somebody who doesn't agree with them as an opponent they rush sometimes to call, think of them as an enemy well a lot of the extreme right parties particularly are using migrants as the as the enemy and rallying people around well migrants come into contact with their home country or the new country their host country in schools are there things that are important for schools to do in terms of building the kind of acceptance and tolerance not just helping the migrant children adjust to a new land but also making helping the the students who are already there accept people who may not be quite the same as them well i think this is the you know <laughs> the secret behind public education it's where you bring all children irrespective of their backgrounds together in one classroom in, in one school including immigrant children in practice <laughs> however we see and that sort of confirms the development that you just identified we see privatization we see more and more people who you know want their children to be to be educated and to be taught in a group of their peers so to speak i think that is a factor that does not help us protect and promote <laughs> democracy i know this was not your the question that you were asking uh, but i i thought it was important to note because sometimes these migrant children or refugee children will never be in that school where they will be together with the native children So I think first of all we need to as teaching profession encourage the integration of migrant and refugee children in the mainstream schools because it is only by have our students exposed to different cultures that you can develop tolerance if you will that is needed for this integration process to uh, to advance I think we've seen in fact a development of more segregation through the private school system but also even in the public school system where you've got vouchers and people's yeah, parents yeah. picking their schools I read a story the other day in San Francisco the schools of extremely diverse city ethnically and uh, in other ways the uh, schools are more segregated than they've ever been because there are all these possibilities to send them at this specialized mm -hmm. school here and specialized school there and certainly uh in a lot of countries including the US the whole push for private for for public education was the idea that 
the children of working people, many of whom were children of migrants, would be studying alongside the most privileged, would have the same opportunities to run for office, to participate in public life. And that seems to have mm -hmm. fallen apart a bit in many countries. You know, I, I think it's important that we talk a little bit about what we want with the book, because drawing up 25 lessons, explaining to the reader what's behind those lessons is one thing. But I think that we should, first of all, hope that many educators will read the book. But I would expect them to also use it, not only in the classroom. That's, of course, first of all, what we intend, that they are going to use these lessons in, in their, or some of these lessons in their classrooms, but also as members of, of education unions. We hope that they become active in their professional unions as w one of the democratic institutions that we are protecting. So I think that uh, the education unions around the world should use this book, should organize seminars, should challenge their members. It does deal far beyond the classroom, mm -hmm. and, uh, but it's relevant to people who have organizations. The other thing I think the book is careful to do is to understand that teachers are in different situations in different countries. Yeah. And there's some where they take uh, huge risks to just exercise their profession. And you have examples in there from occupied uh, Norway and, uh, and, and Poland where during, people during, were extremely during courageous during yeah. the Second World War. Uh -huh. Very few people are called on that yeah. nowadays, but you still have places like the Philippines yeah. and Turkey and other places where it takes a lot of courage to even teach an ordinary, fair way. No, you're absolutely right. And I, I, I hope that this book gives some moral support to these colleagues in, in these situations who are sometimes doing very courageous things. Um, I'm also thinking of China. Yeah. And, you know, what's currently happening in Hong Kong. I, in a way, it, is, it gives me some hope to see that young people are really going onto the streets to fight for democracy, for their, for their freedoms. So in, in, a, in a way, it's a good example. And I know there are many teachers part of that democracy movement in Hong Kong. So yes, absolutely. There are many, many examples. And perhaps in the book we have focused perhaps too much on the industrialized world, on the Western uh, democracies. And, you know, I hope that in the next print <laughs> we'll have more examples from the emerging democracies and and the and the low income low income countries because those are the places where where there is a where there is a struggle where our colleagues need to be supported and it's also in those countries where commercialization of education services are in fact making it impossible for educators to to promote democracy. It's perhaps uh, said in a too direct way, but I, I seriously believe that commercialization and the marketing of education, both in those countries, those low-income countries, where governments sometimes have no choice, but to, or no real choice, because there's no money, there's no budget, but to delegate their educational responsibility to private enterprises. But also in, in Western democracies, 
we see that same trend where the market is declared holy, where the economy is the main purpose of education, of schooling. So where democracy has become a second-rate educational objective. And I think that this book is trying to, to influence that that, that, that state of mind. It should not only be educators that should be reading it, politicians should be reading it as well. Because I'm sure that not all politicians who are wholeheartedly supporting the marketing of their education system are aware of what the consequences are. They may not be fully aware of this. So this book also serves as a reminder of politicians in our Western democracies. Uh, to be very, very careful when it comes to setting the framework for curricula, deciding on teachers' terms and employment conditions and their professional autonomy, because they may, in the end, the teaching profession and education, one of the few instruments we have to protect our democratic systems. Well, thank you very much, uh, Fred. Uh, this has been an uh, interesting discussion. We just scratched the surface. There's a lot in that book, and uh, there's a lot of other areas which we did not cover today. But I think this is an extremely important initiative and will serve as a big contribution to the support from the teaching profession and from education unions for democracy. To get the latest global education news and advocacy, subscribe to Ed Voices on your favorite podcast app or anytime on SoundCloud. And as always, tell a friend, spread the word, and please give us a review on iTunes.